This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Kia ora and welcome to Garden of Sound, brought to you by The Nephilist. I'm your host, Ian Turner, and my guest today is Rob Grover. But first, if you enjoy today's show... I'd love for you to subscribe. Just head to gardenofsound.nz and click on any of the subscription links on the front page. We've also just launched a listener survey too, which would help the show and local music immensely if you completed it. You can find the link to that survey on the front page too. That web address again, gardenofsound.nz. My guest today is singer-guitarist-songwriter Rob Grover, but he's oh so much more. He released his debut album Aviator in 2015 and has been on a mission to become self-sufficient in musical production. So, with a new studio space ready for action, will Rob be able to get the musical fires burning again and share his sound with an expectant public? This is the Garden of Sound interview with Rob Grover on Plains FM 96.9. Rob, when was the first time you remember hearing music? The first time that I remember uh, having a an impression that music made on me was when I was probably about five or six years old, I don't know, somewhere around there, and I was listening to my dad's record collection i i used to uh, go i used to just get quite fascinated by the artwork and uh, once i discovered the whole turntable thing when he was away i'd, I'd just kind of rustle through it and uh, and one day i just remember two riffs that left a huge impression on me that kind of pretty much ignited my love for rock and roll from then onwards one of them was down on the corner by credence Clearwater revival just something undeniable about the, the the rhythm and the sound of the guitar. And the other one was Rockin' Me Baby by Steve Miller Band. It was the guitar riff that in both cases grabbed me. And I think that was what ignited uh, from a very young age, both a love for just rock and roll music, but also the guitar quite specifically as well. Where did you grow up? In Hamner Springs initially till okay. I was eight and then moved to Amberley. What do you um, remember about um, Hanmer and and Amberley? Hamner, I don't have. A, I mean, it was nice. Obviously, it's a beautiful place with lots of nature. There's there's the hot pools there. I I don't really remember a lot about specific aspects of there. The the main things were really when I moved to Amberley because when I was in, I always wanted to learn guitar from a very young age. But when I was in Amberley, ah, oh, sorry, in Hamner there was no guitar teacher, so I learned mm. the recorder instead. Okay. Uh, well, the the mountain scene, that feels quite yeah, appropriate. Yeah. Either yeah. that or the flute, maybe. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Uh, I think I wanted to learn the sax, but but um, they made you learn the recorder first for yeah, the fingering. that's fair. Um, but then when I got to Amberley, there was a guitar teacher in Amberley, yeah. so that was eight going on nine, and that was pretty much as soon as that was an option, I, I picked up the guitar. So classical, I imagine, or nylon string? I think my first ever guitar was a steel string, actually, because mm. I'm a left-handed person. Yes, uh, and I remember the I remember going shopping for my very first guitar, and I picked up a right-handed guitar and I tried to hold it left-handed, and the guy at the shop said, "Oh no, 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 you hold it the other way around." It didn't occur to me that I should look for a left-handed guitar. We basically just from the beginning learned right-handed. Okay, um, and so you still play as a right-hander. Yes. 
Wow. How has that affected your life? I have this weird thing where if something is two-handed, so golf or holding a cricket bat, yep. anything that's two-handed, I'm yep. right-handed. Okay. And anything that's one-handed, I'm left-handed. Okay, so your brain is doing some interesting sort of crossover. <laughs> but I'm not, I'm not ambidextrous, whatever you call it, where you can yep. do it with both. It's yep. just some, like I play pool right-handed and then... Okay. So I, I don't know why I do that. It's some weird thing. <laughs> okay, so you've got the steel string guitar. Um, did you play it till your fingers bled? Initially, I just did the usual route of uh, learning. I remember one of the first songs I learned was um, Karma Police. Uh, okay. What else? Just, just the, there's some kind of stock standard. Maybe the first song I ever learned was You Are My Sunshine because it's got like three chords or something in the song. And and you were already into um, something as cerebral as Radiohead. Well, no, I wasn't a f- I, I didn't I wasn't a fan of Radiohead. I didn't know who they were. That yeah. was just an easy guitar song that uh, my guitar teacher um, Brian Olin, I believe his name yeah. was. Um, it was part of his teaching repertoire, I yep. suppose. Yeah. And so he gave me that. I think another one was I can see clearly now. Mm-hmm. I didn't have an established taste of music at that point, so mm. I wasn't specifically being curious about going down certain paths. I was just just kind of soaking up whatever whatever I was given. I remember my first ever guitar riff I learnt. Um, maybe not the first ever, but one of my first memories was that song "Venus" by the Feelers. That was one of the first kind of power chord type things that yep. I learnt, and then. And a bit of palm muting as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then I didn't practice heaps. Like I wasn't mad into it. It was just something I did from time to time. And I kept wanting to have an electric guitar. My mum basically said to me, well, you're not you're not serious about it enough to, to justify that. Yeah. So eventually when I got my first job, when I was 14, I was able to save up some money. And what was that job? There was a cafe in Amberley, well, there still is a cafe. They're called the Norwester, and I mm. was a I was a kitchen hand. I yep. washed I washed dishes. How many dishes do you reckon you had to wash to afford <laughs> that guitar? I don't know. It's Tens yeah, of thousands. Yeah, yeah. Well, funny enough, working there was influential in many ways on on my music direction. Not just because of giving me the the money to afford to buy my first electric, but the people i worked with there the chefs they had a had a very particular taste in music and that had a quite a huge influence on me going into my teenage years and what was that music it was metallica acdc okay, okay. it, the, it the wasn't dub no 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 okay, it was it, okay. oh no occasionally there was yeah. a, a bit of dub but yeah. it was mainly the sort of heavy heavy rock music from yeah. the from the sort of 80s and okay. 90s okay that kind of led me down a path of of developing a specific taste in music. Yeah. And I, th- I think the the first thing that prompted like a really visceral sense of like, oh my God, this is what I want to do was yeah. when I, I was at home, I think I was out in the living or somewhere doing something and, and my dad called me into the, 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 the living room where they're watching TV and he said, oh, there's a guitar player here. You should come and check it out. And it was Stevie Ray Vaughan. Okay. Um, and the concert was... Uh, Austin City Limits. Mm-hmm. I think he did two Austin City Limits performances, if I'm, if I remember rightly. One of them earlier in his career, and one of them later. Anyway, mm. it was that. There's a DVD that I got later on of that yep. show. But anyway, that I remember watching that, 
he just completely blew my mind. And then that was when my guitar obsession kind of took mm-hmm. hold. And he was my first real guitar hero influence. How was school supporting your, your musical loves? In high school, I didn't, I never studied music. It was, I, I just sort of kept it to myself for quite a long time. I think I was a bit shy about uh, being outwardly expressive with it. Mm. Um, and I remember the school had this annual showcase that they used to do every year. And one year it came up and, and when it came up, you had to write your name down on the list and you'd, you know, you you didn't have to audition or anything. You just yep. put your name down and then that's it. You get Like a game of pool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then you get notified of, you know, when it is and, yeah. and, and all that stuff. And yeah. I remember one year I, I, didn't do it because I was too shy and I was and I promised myself okay next year I'm not going to hesitate I'm just going to write my name down so the next year I did that I I wrote my name down and up until that point I'd only been considered myself a guitar player I I didn't sing or do anything like that I was looking for a male singer to do a performance with and I couldn't find anyone that I could take seriously or rely on okay (laughs) so i was like oh crap i'm gonna have to sing this myself and um and i was pretty paranoid about doing that yeah Um, yeah so i i ended up singing and that was sort of i really i actually really enjoyed the singing aspect of it how much singing had you done in the lead up to that not really much. I mean, I'd done the occasional choir performance yeah. type thing, yeah. but I, I'd never put myself out as a yep. leading vocalist. Yep. So that was that. That was why it was so nerve wracking for me because before you really sing, there's a real vulnerability when you don't know what you sound like or you haven't become comfortable with how you sound mm. like. I didn't know if it sounded terrible or if it was kind of. You know, if people would enjoy it or anything like that. And so I practiced. The song I did was Nothing Else Matters by Metallica. Okay. <laughs> okay. And 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 so I practiced it obsessively over and over and over and over and over yep. again. And, yep. um, and yeah, it, it went really well. I got, I had this experience of just kind of relaxing and, well, I was anything but relaxed before the sure. performance. But it was that classic moment of you you walk onto the stage with the curtains shut and you sit on your stool and the curtains open up and the lights wow, are Wow, even face. that, okay. I really felt um, quite empowered at the end of that because I it was this feeling of having sort of gone through something I thought I couldn't do. And then um, that was really the beginning of my performing I still didn't take music as a as a subject in school because I, when I got my guitar lessons, I, I kind of learned some basics for the first few years, like the chords and all that stuff. I didn't learn any music theory. And then once I bought that electric guitar, I didn't get any guitar lessons throughout that high school period. I just taught myself basically by ear. I just kind of jammed along to my favorite guitar tracks and yeah. just turn my guitar amp up to 10 and just you do. and just yeah uh, and just basically played what felt good on the guitar you know yeah. it may not have always sounded good but just yeah. i just really was a it was just playing from trying to find that feeling through the playing yeah you know teaching myself songs like you know nothing else matters and getting into led zeppelin and and again these musical tastes were influenced through these people I was working, these chefs I was working with who mm. were into like all of the classic rock stuff. Yeah. So they would lend me their CDs and I would take the CDs home and thrash them and just listen to them. And 
back then it was obviously before streaming existed it was yeah. kind of in the early days of of downloading music and all that kind of thing yep even though you could download music i didn't have uh, an awareness of what was actually out okay. there okay okay so, um it is time for some music and we've covered heaps of artists from uh, metallica uh led zepp um steve ray vaughan obviously um, but you did mention steve miller now there's a track by a steve miller band yeah so the the earliest memory is this is the song Rockin' Me and that was the first song that injected rock and roll into me so I thought that would be a good one to, to start with. <laughs> This is the Garden of Sound interview with Rob Grover on Plains FM 96.9. Rob, um, I want to talk about gigs. Now we're going from Hanmer to, to Amberley. What's the first big gig you remember seeing? The first big gig was when I was in high school, about 14, and this band called 
which many people will know, Tool. They, um, they, tool? they, there what was is this, this Tool? They played, there was this year or two year period where they came twice. Yep. I think it was the Lateralis Tour. Yep. I can't remember. Yep. Yep. And I didn't really know who they were, but some friends of mine were hugely into them. Yep. And I just thought, that sounds fun. I'll go along. Mm-hmm. And it was, uh, Quite unbelievable. <laughs> Horncastle Arena. Yeah, at the time. whatever it was whatever called. Whatever the back arena. Then. Yep. Yeah. So you hadn't heard much of the music before. Did you do it like a, a quick quick SWAT? Schism was definitely the, the main one mm. I knew. Yep. Of course I became a big fan of a lot of their other songs yep. after that yep. or later on. But it was quite a spectacle seeing the the, the videos that they play. I don't know if you've been to a tour concert but they I've been to three. Oh there you go. <laughs> so you know exactly yeah. what I mean. Yeah, that was quite mind-blowing that just the impact and the the whole setting and the the power of the, the live show that was did it change the way you thought about music or change your music i wouldn't say it changed my music but led me to become a, a lover of live music especially heavy music mm. so i just love the power of of that genre live so yep. during that sort of period of from you know, my late high school years into the, the, the following years, that was when Big Day Out was yep. still in its Doing prime. its thing, yeah. Yeah, and so I went and I, I went to a number of Big Day Outs and, and, and yeah, that first tool show sort of lit the fire of, okay. of wanting to see a lot more. So I went yep. to see every opportunity I could when bands would come yep. to Christchurch. Yep. I would pretty much try and make an effort to get along. So what was your first musical group? <laughs> when I got to the end of high school, I promised myself that I was going to at least do the rock quest once. <laughs> mm. And so I'd, I'd never really formed a band before, but I, I, I decided, no, I don't care how terrible this is. I'm, I just want to, I just want to take that one off the yep. list and say I've done the rock quest. Yeah. And so I formed a band with a couple of friends. We we made a trio and I wrote a few really bad songs. And I, I think the band was called Fixer. Something that like that. That's pretty good. With, with two X's. It was, oh, it was okay. Pretty, maybe not. Okay, <laughs> it, was pretty, right. it was pretty, pretty cheesy. These days it would be um, Vaxxer, I'm sure. Oh, right. Yeah. yeah. It, it didn't really, we didn't play any gigs. It was just the, the rock fest yep. was like the, the thing. And, and then I got into an, another band shortly after high school was yes yeah, probably the year or two after high school and that was more of a, a serious band where we did gigs around town and we we never did any recording but we supported a few bands that were in town and we back when in new brighton mm. i think it was called the esplanade yes there was there was a bar that was yep. doing pretty relatively big gigs yep. back then and yep. so we did a few gigs supporting gigs there but that band eventually broke up after a couple of years and mm. I was taking it quite seriously and when that broke up I just sort of thought well I I don't want to be in a band and put all this effort into it and it breaks up and that was the catalyst for me being a solo artist mm-hmm. basically after that yeah. first so I've only really been in one somewhat serious band mm. and then after that I decided to do the solo artist journey you play with a number of people um Katie Thompson being mm-hmm. being one of them. How did that kind of work come along? That was actually through a mutual bandmate at the time. So 
in my band, I had a, a drummer in my band, Jesse, and he was also playing with Katie at the time. Mm-hmm. And Katie was, she'd just come over here from the coast. Coast, yes. Yep. From the funeral home. <laughs> yeah. And so she was looking for a guitar player, yeah. a lead guitar player. Yeah. And, and Jesse, because he's in my band, he yep. just sort of um, mentioned my name. And yep. I, I'm lucky that I that I also know Katie's brother, Chris. Yep. Okay. And so I think through through a few, through enough mutual contacts, yep. I was able to land the gig with her. So that was quite a while ago now. So yeah. it feels like it's been quite a few years since we've been playing together. But yeah. So, so it was just sort of a lucky uh, right place, right time, knowing, having mutual contacts mm. and, and playing with the same people. So the focus has been on the solo stuff but your talent at least has sort of led you to collaborate with other people or at least play yeah. for and with them. What about the production side of things? I'm getting a feeling that there might have always been an interest in producing. For me, my vision with my music career was always to, I wanted to play the long game with it and and part of my personal idea of success for for myself is that I can create my own music whenever and however I want to and so I initially went down the production path as a way of becoming self-sufficient with my own music Mm. uh, uh, because I've always had a pretty good sense or feeling for for the for the bigger vision of my music, mm-hmm. but I didn't always have the technical ability or the gear or those things yep. to be able to, to be able to execute that. Yep. So that was always the kind of slow journey that I was going in with it. I've had a, a, a day job that's afforded me the resources to over a long period of time, gradually yeah. build that up. And, and I just also am a highly, curious person and i just i just happened to really love learning about that stuff yep so when i started learning about the the technical aspects of you know mixing and and recording and and all those things and i went to jazz school so i already learned about arrangement and okay and sort of new the musical aspects of production when it comes to understanding how music works together rhythmically harmonically mm-hmm. and all those things mm. and and so after jazz school that was when i l- learnt through you know on, i mean online it's just there's a million resources online now yes and you can just you can teach yourself anything is there a right way to do things i <laughs> i really don't think there is yeah yep even when you you know even when you go online and and you look at how the pros do it there's a there's an enormous amount of variation, and sometimes even contradictory viewpoints on on th- certain things. So mm. I think I think there's always there are obviously fundamentals that that need to be considered. There's a lot of creative license to do things in a particular way, and there's a lot of subjective decisions to make along the way. Are you always on click in the studio? Not not necessarily. It depends on the approach so um when i've done my own stuff i've quite often done it to a click because i i like to have a lot of ability to do sort of overdubbing things and 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 adding things and later on but there's also songs in my last album that i didn't do to a click as well mm. and it's the same 
recording with an artist, some people will have a, a far better performance if they're not to a click. So it's it's the sort of direction you want to go with it and logistically what is going to be, what the limitations will be versus, you know, getting the performance you need as well. Like there's always a payoff and a, an advantage. What do you think we've gained or lost by going more in the box? There's a lot of things we've gained. The The bar of entry has dramatically lowered and that's that's been a great thing for for the evolution of music because you've got people who are who are making you know hugely successful records on their laptops yep the the popular music we're seeing i guess is is influenced by that way of making music uh you i i guess one thing we've lost is is the the kind of art of the performance i mean i don't think we've lost that fully like of course there's amazing performers but if you if you look at popular music you could argue that that's been lost somewhat because um you know there was a need to commit and make decisions um before all this technology came about and so, so do we blame Cher and t-pain <laughs> for uh for the auto-tune i yeah it's it's funny because i i also you know, like I'm a big Bonnie Vere fan, and he yep. he uses auto tune in quite an artistic way. Exactly so as a tool. So, yeah, and so I don't yeah. know who you could argue yep. the pioneer of that is, or who is the first influencer of that. But yeah. I, anything can be done in a in an interesting and artistic way if it's if it's part of the creative vision for that artist. I mean, it's not something I personally use, but yeah, yeah, it yeah. probably would be somewhat contrived if I tried to use it. <laughs> yeah, um, it is time for some music. Um, Nick Mulvey, tell me about yeah. Nick Mulvey. Yeah, so he's um, he's an artist that, so you know, I took the early influences of all the rock and roll stuff. I also love discovering new artists, and I really enjoy folk music. Mm. And, and I, the thing that struck me with Nick Mulvey when I first heard his album First Mind was, um, just he's just got a really unique. Um, way he approaches the guitar, yeah, and he, I just, just love his lyrics. I love his melody and his phrasing, and yeah, it really resonated with me and influenced the way that I approached my music. So yeah, uh, and what track are we going to hear? We're going to hear "Meet Me There." Cause 
they wake up every morning with the cradle in their hands Or they pretend it's a game Acting like the only place the truth could ever live Was up in Shackwell Lane Oh, there's a field, meet me there Please come along, tie back your head Yesterday takes me so long to say But I need you to know Darling, you show by leaving me so The only way to hold on is keep letting go There's a field, meet me there You know I'm on my way This is the Garden of Sound interview with Rob Grover on Plains FM 96.9. At the end of this uh, section, we're going to be talking about a track of yours called Brown Duck. Yeah. How long ago was Brown Duck written? I wrote that song with a good friend of mine, Solomon Muir. He's he's also a musician. And probably that's the most fun I've had writing a song, that one. Mm. And it's the only song I've like fully co-written with someone else. We were both at at jazz school at the time, so I think this was a long, a while ago now. It's probably like two thousand and seven or eight. Mm. We didn't even intend to necessarily write a song. We were just we just had an acoustic guitar and we were at Hagley Park. You know where the the gardens is for? Oh, sorry, the car park for the botanical yep. gardens, and then there's that lake yep. on the other side where the tennis yep. courts are. Yep. So we were just kind of hanging out there, sitting under a tree, and and just jamming away on the just guitar. Out. And and we just yeah, we just kind of jammed on that F sharp minor chord. Yep. And we just started sort of picking out these lines and um, using the imagery of where we were to kind of inspire these cool little yep. cool little lines. And and it just sort of all fell together. And then as we were walking back to the car, we wrote. The chorus. I think mm-hmm. actually Solomon came up with the words for the chorus, and and so yeah, it was just one of these really fun songs that kind of just fell together. It, it doesn't have any particular story to it, or or a, or a very specific meaning. But at the same time, there's a 
it still kind of evokes a feeling of fun and there's this as a song that is a lot of fun to play and and usually you know it, it tends to go really well live because it just has that groove to it but even just um playing it whether it's to an audience or not i, I tend to always enjoy it so yeah that's that's why i quite like that one so where was the song recorded back when we wrote it we always the thing was if if any of us ever records this we have to do it together and so i when i did my song my album with ben edwards aviator mm-hmm. mm-hmm. i decided that was a great opportunity to include that song so we did that at the sitting room so yep. i did the rhythm section with the band during the few days that we were tracking all the rhythm section is this pre-earthquake or post no this is post this is post okay yeah yeah then I got Solomon to, so he was living up in Tauranga at the time, so mm. we got him to come down and he just um, did the vocals on it, so we were able to actually record it uh, as with both of us. So he mm-hmm. sings the first verse on it, I sing the second verse, and yep. we do the, the chorus together. What did you learn from Ben during the process? I learned heaps working with him, actually. Yeah. Uh, a big thing was attention to detail, especially with things like vocal production and with with guitar production as well and just Ben makes the process very fun and there's a lot of humor and and I think a big part of it as well is is not being afraid to try unusual ideas out um you know he got me to do a number of things that I thought were I didn't quite get how that would work but then sort of seeing how it sort of fits into a wider context it was it was really interesting and so I think I learned a lot from that from that aspect, and I think um, the other part of it as well is, you know, as a producer, if I'm working with someone, that's really a, a big thing is making someone feel relaxed and making sure people are enjoying the experience. Mm. I think that's that's a really vital thing for uh, for getting the best performance out of someone is to try and make sure they're having a lot of fun with that experience. Just on that note, have you had any experiences either as the um, the artist or as the producer where something just hasn't worked? I mean, it's that classic thing when you're trying to get the right take and you just keep going and going and going and going and going and, and you just can't get it. There was one song on my album, it's the last track, it's called More Than A Little. I, I wrote it initially in, in a whole different feel and it just, once we recorded it with the band or with the rhythm section mm. it just didn't sit very well and so i changed the key on it i played a different mm. guitar i changed the tone and in the end we just tried a whole different lot of different ways eventually we landed on a way of doing it but the initial arrangement or or feeling that i tried to 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 achieve with the song it didn't it, it wasn't the right thing in the end for um for the album so are you that, happy with that track now yeah, I I really like the way it came out. It's it was in the end a lot of fun to play actually, and it's mm. it sort of has a bit of a loose, a looser feel. We we're sort of going with um, I'm trying to think of the reference that we used at the time. Up on Cripple Creek, da da da. I can't remember the name of that song. I think it's Up on Cripple Creek. Anyway, that that kind of almost like a a, a loose New Orleansy type mm-hmm. feel mm. was what we went with in the end. Yeah, um, and change the key of the song as well and it's quite amazing by changing the key of a song how it forces you to uh, to sing it in a whole different way and it can yeah. just really change how it comes across the last question before we do here brown duck who's playing on this recording apart from yourself 
So Tim Sellers was the drummer. Okay, yep. And then Nick Bosman was the bass player. Tim Driver was on keys. Okay, yep. And Solomon Muir was the other lead vocalist. Yep. And I did I did all the guitar parts, so I did all the rhythm and lead guitar parts on it. Fantastic. Yep. Here we go, Brown Duck. Sun reflecting to my eyes The green lake hiding my disguise There's a brown duck calling out my name But I can't understand a word he's saying Angels go ahead and flap your wings Love is exchange and wedding ring Sitting in a park under a tree Singing lullabies and melodies Yeah, this may be a metaphor for life That would explain this peaceful fight I believe my time is coming around I've been running but my feet ain't touched the ground Ain't touched the ground Holidays are filled with time and space Memories are filled with moments Learning to live without a thought Trying to drop these fears abroad There's a thin white line between my heart Cause in the past lifetime I thought too hard Bracelets dangle from the wrists Wisdom tumbles from the lips Hearts are playing back to me Showing how it could have been This might be a metaphor for life That would explain this peaceful fight I believe my time is coming around I've been running but my feet ain't touched the ground Ain't touched the ground, yeah Holidays are filled with time and space Memories are filled with moments
This is the Garden of Sound interview with Rob Grover on Plains FM 96.9. Um, let's go back to Amberley. What would you say to little Rob? I would say don't lose that spark. Because you know, back then it was the joy of music that, that really drove all of my motivation. It wasn't any outward idea of trying to achieve music success. It was just 100% the joy of playing guitar in my room and and so my advice would be don't lose touch of that <laughs> okay yeah okay you've done a few things across the years and there's plenty of life left in the old boy yet anything that you you really want to do maybe you've put your toe in the water but haven't quite sort of put it out there yeah for me it's really the the next chapter of my own music journey which is becoming a self-produced artist so the first two records i had you know, help producing them. And I think the next, yeah, the next thing is really just, I've actually not released music for quite a while actually. Mm -hmm. And, and so I've, I've sort of gone off the boil quite a bit as an, as an artist. And so I think for me, yeah, it's, it's really just reestablishing a a continuity with, with making and releasing music and Mm. just sort of, I think that's, that's, the next thing for me is is just getting some consistency around that and and re getting a, a foothold as an artist again. Really, have you managed to put a finger on why that's happened? Um, yeah, well, I, so I I chose the path of of having a you know an additional career alongside the music, and I know, like the way you've phrased that. That's very good. An additional career <laughs> alongside the yeah. Well, you know, I'm. I mean, occasionally, you know, I I think, oh, maybe I should have put more emphasis on the music. But I think for me, you know, I I know that that security is a really important thing for me. You know, Huge. so so I if I was to go down the path of um, sort of exclusively focusing on the music, I, there's a romantic. Uh, ideal to that picture for me but I know that in reality it would be quite a stressful life for me that that would actually not free up much creative energy at all so I've I've the extra career path has has been really good in terms of um, giving me resources to be where I am now but at the same time it's it's also taken a lot of time and energy from me as well and you know it's difficult to tour when you've got that level of of commitment to something else so yeah you know it's a catch-22 and but now I guess it's it's bringing that back and trying to find the you know the right balance for it in terms of outside of your performance and the production what kind of characters um, have you uh, worked with recently what kind of things have you been working on yeah so I did my first things I've had this little space here has has only been going for a couple of weeks so it's brand new it still smells new yeah, it's wonderful yeah yeah, yeah. um so i had the guys yeah, from dolphin friendly in here yep um we we did it wasn't studio recording it was more just a live performance yep. so they had a videographer that came in and we yep. set it up like a really nice ambience in here and yeah and so that that was one project which is underway at the moment yep. um 
And uh, last year I worked with a band called Kimono. Mm. So I helped them do an EP project. And Hannah Everingham, she's just started an EP who I'm I'm helping her out with that too. So yeah, there's a few a few projects. And Sam, uh, I've done a bit of work with Sam as well from Dolphin Friendly. Yep. So um, I'm sort of in the earlier days with the production stuff as well. Yeah. And, and so there's sort of a few concurrent things I've got on the go, which I'm, I'm trying to get finished before the end of the year. So yeah. I don't, I haven't made any commitments for next year yet. We'll see, we'll see what um, <laughs> comes ahead. Well, after you, the new year. you have agreed to do the show, which is, um, is absolutely wonderful. Yeah. Um, we're going to take a short break yeah. and then we're going to come back and we're going to play mini quiz. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Rob Grover on Plains FM 96.9. I just want to tell you about the listener survey I mentioned at the top of the show. I love making Garden of Sound because I love music and I love being able to support local music. I also know you love being able to find out what local musicians are up to, hear new music and perhaps discover ways to progress your own musical career. One of the ways Garden of Sound can cover costs is to generate some income through advertising and sponsorship. To do this, I need to find out who's listening, that's you, and find out what you think of the show alongside some demographic data. So please head to the homepage and click the survey link. It's right there at gardenofsound.nz. And thank you so much for completing that. This is the Garden of Sound interview with Rob Grover on Plains FM 96.9, and we're about to play mini quiz. So I've got 10 questions here for you. It's going to be 60 seconds. And um, if you don't know the answer, just say pass. Makes sense? There might be a lot of passes. Okay, well, that's all right. It's probably not as many passes as Emma Eden I've had on the show recently. Eight passes in a row. So oh, try, right. to beat, okay. try to beat that. Okay. Or don't, actually. Let, let, let's see. Just put put some effort in, eh? All right, here we go. Rob Grover, your mini quiz starts now. <laughs> Buddy, you're a boy, make a big noise is the opening line of which rock classic? Buddy, you're a boy, make a big noise. Oh, It's on the tip of my tongue, but pass. Okay. A cover version of which Elvis song gave the Pet Shop Boys a number one in 1987? Pet Shop Boys. Uh, No, pass. According to the 1964 pop song Leader of the Pack, where did Betty meet Jimmy? Pass. According to the Elvis Presley song, more Elvis, in which city was the ghetto? Ghetto. No. Okay. American musician Charlie Parker was most famous for playing which instrument? The alto sax. Andrew Penman is a founding member of which New Zealand musical band? (laughs) Andrew Penman. Oh, God. I I had to say pass. Okay. Your um, your time is up. Okay. So you got one. I got one. That's right. I'll just run through those answers for you. Buddy, you're a boy. Make a big noise playing in the street. Okay. You'll kick yourself, won't you? We will rock you. Um, Yes. Uh, Always on my mind was the Pet Shop Boys cover of the Elvis Presley song. Oh yeah. Okay. Um, I met him at the candy store, leader of the pack. So it was candy store we were looking for. Um, right. Yeah. Okay. According to the Elvis Presley song, in which city was the ghetto? Uh, it was Chicago? Possibly a little difficult. Yeah. Um, sax, well done, and alto sax, great. Andrew Penman, founding member of Selmanella Dub. All oh, right. 
So, so there you go. Well, hey, yeah, there I'm not. Go. I'm not one to have on your trivia team in that's, a pub quiz. That's all right. <laughs> we will remember that. Um, okay, what's coming up? You talked about you've got um four tracks in the works. What yeah. are you going to do with them? You're going to release them. You're going to start. You're going to gig. Yeah. So I've 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 started producing them. Um, I think I I'm going to release them all as probably singles. Yep. Uh, I don't know if I'm going to package them as an EP yet. I'm not too sure. But mm. I've actually got a good friend who's a video producer, and he's based in the UK, and he's going to help me with doing some video yep. um, sort of productions with those songs as yep. well. So, yep. yeah, I, I th- I'm sort of treating them as more of a um, – as just a, a – a, a way to release some more music to get the momentum going. Yeah. Yep. And I, I probably will do a few gigs here and there. I've got a new band who I'm working with on those tracks. So I've got mm. Andy and Vic Knopp. Yep. Um, As you do, they yeah. get around, don't they? Yeah. And, and Ryan's, Ryan's doing the drums Fantastic. with me on it. So, yeah. so that's, it's really fun working with, you know, a new set of musicians as well. Yeah. The main thing is just to finish the tracks first. What I really want to try and do this time around is, is rather than, trying to focus on too much just kind of do fewer things with more concentrated focus in terms of the release around them in the past i've tended to be so heavily focused on making the music and just almost getting burnt out by that Mm. and really not having much focus to put on the follow-up and so that's why i'm sort of um and and the other thing is with this space you know i can i can do video yep. content around it as well so i'll probably do some some video performances and just try and have some other ways of of supporting that music as yep. I, when i put it out so that's that's really the main intention is just to to pick out a few strong singles and just to try and um use them as a way to re-engage yep and then i'll probably just keep uh, i've even started writing new stuff since i've done those ones so i'll probably eventually lead into a bigger project but just start off um small and and work back into that that's fantastic um we've got time for one more song um so what's the last track we're going to get to hear Um, today so one of one of the artists i've recently discovered is madison cunningham Mm -hmm. and uh she's i just think she's phenomenal because she she sort of ties all the things together that I love about music. She's an incredible guitar player. Uh, she's a very uh, talented lyricist and just her her sense of melody and her, her voice is beautiful as well. So I've really been enjoying listening to her and um, there's a song called Pin It Down, which, mm-hmm. which I think is one of my f- current favourites. Rob, it's been an absolute pleasure to come into your space and um, yeah, chat to you today. Great to have you here. Thank you.
Thanks for joining me today. Thanks also to Rob Grover for letting me have a look around his space and opening up about his music and his plans. You can find out more about Rob by heading to gardenofsound.nz and clicking on his link on the front page. I'm Ian Turner and I look forward to bringing you Garden of Sound same time next week. In the meantime, keep well, keep listening and keep playing. Inohorah.